Hey guys, and welcome back to It's Your Life, and this is Mind the Podcast with your host, Charlotte Emily Price. Today, we've got an episode of The Grief Diaries, which is a series I've created to hopefully help others through the grieving process, make people feel less alone with their struggles, and maybe share some different grief circumstances and how they could possibly relate to you, your experiences, or how your experience differs, and it's okay that everyone reacts differently. So we've got Leah with us today. Hi. (laughs) Do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Uh, Hi, I'm Leah, um, and I'm here to talk about my grief story with my grandmother, who passed away three and a half years ago. So my grandma had colitis. Um, She'd had it for quite a while. She'd only had one flare-up, and then the second flare-up that she got um, later, obviously leading to her death, got progressively worse through over time. Mm. And so basically, there's a number of treatments that they can have and these treatments just weren't working um, and obviously she was hanging on to that golden nugget of okay there's another treatment mm-hmm. another treatment we can try this we can try this ultimately they didn't work and she just got so poorly that in the end she needed to go and have part of her bowel removed an operation which she didn't recover from okay what what did you know you said colitis was it colitis yeah what what exactly is that so colitis and Crohn's I believe from what mm-hmm. I know are quite similar in the sense that I think Crohn's works in sort of the chest area people mm-hmm. often suffering really bad with their stomach and being sick and then colitis is basically where they from my nana's experience she had basically it was she was going to the toilet like 25 times a day yeah. and couldn't stop and control her bowel movements um basically to the point that she was progressively losing weight and I think in the space of something like six months ended up losing five stone through yeah. just going to the toilet constantly and was very very poorly I, I don't know the ins and outs yeah, yeah, of yeah. it and I don't want to say things yeah, that might no, be of wrong <laughs> but um from what I know it is basically where their their bowel movements can't be controlled and they, okay. it's it's an autoimmune disease I do know that okay and it just attacks the body and there's absolutely no control. There is treatment for it, and a lot of people have it under control, but also as well, for some people, it's a lot trickier to control. Yeah, especially if you're older as well, right? Like, it's it's harder to recover from... Yeah, so she'd things. first had it, and I didn't realise this because I was so young at the time, she'd first had it back in, I think it was 2007, mm-hmm. and then, so basically I started university in 2018, and she she was having a flare-up but at the time it wasn't as bad as what it ended up being mm-hmm. and so this second flare-up every time I would come home from university for various things it was literally like watching someone shrink in front of your eyes mm-hmm. and it's very strange I think when you're with someone and you're very close to them and you see them every day you don't see that change yeah but then when you are away for a while so I would be away for like four or five weeks I'd come back mm-hmm. I'd be like oh my goodness she's lost so much weight she looks so horrifically poorly like yeah. it was the most mm-hmm. yeah it's just a it's hard to I think to understand but basically it's to do with the bowel and more to do with the basically the, the autoimmune disease attacks the bowel and they end up suffering yeah through having to go to the toilet so many times a day yeah, and they can't retain so. any nutrients in their body mm-hmm. so how was she during it was she struggling like quite a lot or was she 
trying to get through it like how was her morale like through the whole thing I think she was in denial for yeah. the most part that is one thing I will say she was massively in denial we always say as a family one thing that we we do think is maybe she could have maybe she'd have still been here had she had the operation earlier but mm-hmm. you know she comes from a generation where the thought of wearing a bag oh my god it, it disgusted her she was terrified at the thought yeah. and no one obviously we didn't have a bag we weren't living with a bag and no one said to her, you know, you will be fine with this bag. You know, she was very paranoid. Am I going to smell? Are people going to know I've got this bag on? Mm-hmm. You know, am I going to be able to change the bag? What if the bag leaks? Things like that. Yeah. I think in terms of mindset, I think with her generation, there's this stigma around, mm-hmm. oh my goodness, I, c- I could never have that, you know. And we always talk about as a family how we think, had we not sat her down and maybe got someone to speak to her who had the bag... Mm-hmm. Um, the colostomy bag by the way yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah, know if yeah. I've said that's what it is but um, maybe it would have changed her mentality earlier and she would have been in a position to maybe mm-hmm. she'd have been stronger because yeah. she was very very weak it had got to the point where when she did eventually go into hospital after my mum begged her to go in mm. they said you've got ulcers on your bowel and if you don't if you don't go in and have this operation to have the bag your bowel your, the ulcers are going to burst and you're going to die anyway so mm-hmm. it was choice between two really difficult things yeah you said something actually that made me think of something about the in denial sort of feelings anyway Mm. like and I feel like that comes into the grief um but I think as well from that generation like I can relate that a little bit to my granddad like when so for anyone listening new my granddad basically passed away from cancer last boxing day and I always think that if he'd have asked for help sooner could something have changed Mm. and I sort of feel that sort of like panic I'm like oh if he'd have just felt that he could come out and be like oh I'm not feeling great but I think a man owning up to not feeling well was like such a massive thing back then whereas now it's slightly better I still think there's a long way to go but for him like if he'd have just said oh I'm not feeling like something's Mm. not right earlier on could the cancer have been prevented or at least stopped in that pathway so yeah I felt like that part of your story definitely related to mine I definitely think that there's a there's I don't even. I think part of it is generational, but I also think maybe it's the fear. Mm, yeah. Maybe it's the fear that they know that they're, they're not going to like what they're going to be yeah. told, what's going to happen, and. But then I think with my, obviously with my nana, like it was just she was. I think she was a mixture of scared, but also she felt this pride. She was incredibly. Yeah. It sounds really strange to say, but she's incredibly like proud woman. You know, she'd always turn out. She'd have lovely lipstick on. She'd have her hair yeah, straightened, yeah, yeah. and she'd have nice clothes and. I think for her it was the mental shift to this paranoia of oh my goodness what if what if I smell what if I leak what if people know I'm wearing this bag and she couldn't get past that and I don't think I think obviously we would say to her and try and reassure her of that but the problem that you have is she'd then be like well you don't have a bag and it is true it's a fair point we we weren't living with one we can't speak from experience but Maybe if somebody had come to her, because in the end, when she was in the hospital and was being told, you need to have the operation, I think she did have a nurse who was working there come in who had a bag and showed her the bag. And I think that was the switch for her that, okay, maybe this would be livable. Mm -hmm. But by that point, I think she was just too poorly to cope with such an intense operation. Yeah, bless her. How was... So you said this was three and a half years ago. Yeah, so this was... 
end of April 2019. Okay. So three and a half years ago. It was yeah, so before, just before, well, before the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. about a year, just year under a year before COVID, okay. yeah. How was, was this like your first time experiencing grief? I'd experienced, obviously my dad's mum had passed away when I was quite young. Okay. And then my great-grandmother had passed away five, six years before, but this was probably the first intense grief of someone really 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 close to me yeah you know she was like a second mum she was in my life every single day we spoke a lot we did a lot you know I always talk about when people ask me about how close I was to my nana my mum had to go back to work when I was four months old and Mm -hmm. she basically took care of me up and I used to spend at least one two days a week with her up till being 14 15 and then you know even after I was old enough to look after myself it became more than you know, we would do things together, her, you know, as a family, me, my mum and dad, my nana and granddad, you know, mm. and their only grandchild yeah. as well. So we were very, very close yeah. in that sense. Yeah, I think that's that's harder, isn't it? When you're in, like, that close-knit relationship. And I think, yeah. how so how old were you when she passed? Um, I was 19, nearly 20. 19. Yeah, so I feel like that is such a pivotal I guess age because a lot of other things are changing in your life yeah. and especially like at uni and everything that you're going through like some losing someone at that time can be very I know it's difficult at any time mm. you can argue but I feel like any late teens slash early 20s I feel like if you've experienced grief for the first time then that is where yeah it feels like that shift you're moving into adulthood it's yet another yeah. thing and I do think grief is a part of adulthood. You know, the older we get, the more people we lose. Mm-hmm. So it's that shift then of that's another thing that's transitioned from childhood to adulthood. Yeah, and I, I, I don't know if this is me being seriously overthinking, but I, when my granddad passed, I was like, oh my God, I've only got one more grandparent and then it's my parents. Yes. That's what I'm just yes. a bit, I was just like, oh no, this is so horrible. I'm sorry if I put this into anyone else's head, but that is what my brain goes to. I'm like, oh my God, the generations really are moving. I'm getting older. This is like a fr- frightening how fast my life's moving, even though it's, it's not true. Like I'm in my early twenties, like it's fine, hmm. but I, I can't help but panic. And I think a lot of people go into those like, like cr- almost cra- not, not that they're crazy, but like panic thought moments especially straight after grief because like your head is just spiraling like yeah i don't know i feel like you go either numb from everything or into like overdrive where you're thinking about everything yeah <laughs> i definitely think that's a valid point though my, my granddad now is the only grandparent i have left and it is something i think about like a lot i think oh my goodness losing my granddad like my granddad's now he's like mid mid to late 70s you know if I don't get married in the next 10 years we might not have any grandparents at my wedding what if he's not here and yeah that obviously he's very healthy he's fine but you know I do think you do panic about that Mm -hmm. and then it makes you feel quite sad it's like I never thought she wouldn't be at my wedding or see my children yeah yeah that's something that I feel like stressed about and it's so annoying because I know that I want to be in my 30s when I'm probably doing all those things Mm. and I'm like that's not doesn't seem right at the moment because my nan just turned 90 the other day and I'm like well she is she's quite old (laughs) she's in good health which is amazing but it is just oh so it's that sadness of not experiencing them at those like big yeah they're things you don't really think about when you're growing up you just you just take it for granted I definitely never in a million years thought that she wouldn't be there she was you know she was only 70 when she passed away she was healthy she'd had health problems intermittently but for the most part she was fine 
you know and then it was just that last 12 months so you know 12 months is a long time but when you're losing someone 12 months is nothing yeah it's literally like a train off a track it happened so fast and because I obviously was away at uni and we didn't know how poorly she was for quite a long time yeah it all happened all at once in those last like month I think yeah and when like you said you don't see the extent of how ill they are like I was when my granddad was diagnosed I think I'd I can't remember like the different stages of it but it all happened it was like a quick I think 12 month turnaround mm-hmm. or they were like he's got six to nine months and mm-hmm. he, luckily he exceeded that I mean not towards the end because he was in way too much pain and I was mm-hmm. like praying for him to pass like ASAP um but he I, I was like oh my god six to nine months that's terrifying like I need to come back more and you still even afterwards wish that you went back and visited more or saw them yeah. more and asked more questions yeah. even though I did all those things I think you always feel that regret when so- you lose someone you love yeah and it's it's so strange because like I say I moved to uni in the September she passed away at the end mm-hmm. of April and all that summer and she was like oh I'm so excited because I went to university in York she's like she loved York it's, it's a really lovely city and she was like I'm so excited to come and see it. She never once could come and see me because she was too poorly. Oh. And she died before the end of my first year. Yeah. That's that's a sad thought. And now, even I've obviously left university now, but my when my granddad used to come up after with my mum and dad, it, you could tell it almost like stung him. It was really difficult yeah. for him, even though they'd not been there to see me together. But you could tell he was thinking... She'd have loved this. She'd have loved us all being together in York, having dinner. And yeah. I think it's, you do, I always say like, it's the empty chair around the Christmas table. Yeah. And even all these like years later, it's so, so omnipresent. You know, it's there, yeah. you know, that empty. I am dreading that this Christmas. As soon as you said that, I was so like, tough. I was like, I'm, that's why when you, um, Leah came in and was like, I'm going to Christmas shop. I was like, I really want to get into the Christmas spirit early because mm. I know the actual days of Christmas mm. might be hell for me this year. Yeah. So I'm like, let's yeah. let's get all excited early on. I've got my mini Christmas yeah. tree sat in my lounge. We always had Christmas at home, and that first year, my dad, it was obviously his mother-in-law. He was like, look, I just think it's going to be too tricky. So we went out to our local pub to have dinner, just because Lovely. it felt a little bit different, and it was a little bit less like. You know, we're doing the same traditions, but it's very obviously she's not there. So we tried to change it up a little bit to do something. We have had Christmas dinner at home since, but for that first Christmas, I think we just had to do something different. Yeah, maybe that will be the case. But it's, it's so weird because all of my Christmases were at my grandparents. Mm. Like every single time it's, it's, it's there. So it will, I think we'll probably still stay at the same because it just makes more sense. There's more space at my grandparents yeah. for everyone to go. But last year it was hard because my granddad's like bed was like where he was like yeah. dying at home essentially. He it was where the Christmas tree would have been, and yeah. then now there'll be the Christmas tree there. But and it was it was just horrible because he was the one who would make it like all symmetrical. Like he literally loved doing it so much. It makes me like tear up now. So hopefully this year we'll do it. It's and so funny you talk about Christmas. My granddad hasn't put his Christmas decorations up since. Aww. He can't. <laughs> I, know, I always cry in these episodes. No, I'm trying desperately because if I start, I won't stop. But honestly, like he hasn't since. She used to have two Christmas trees. Yeah. And so she would have one and she would have like blues and greens and another with pinks and purples. And every year she would be like, come decorate my tree, come decorate the Aww. tree. She would send my granddad up to put lights on the gutter in. They used to have a ginormous, like, you know, real fur Christmas yeah. tree out in the garden that they'd grown. Yeah. Um, and they wow. used to trim it with light. 
and all my so they live on the main road oh well like they used to but yeah all my friends used to be like we can always see your nana's christmas tree it's always there it's like she's got the lights on it she was she was very much into that but now it's very sad because my granddad just still finds it far too painful to even oh bless him i think i think that sort of comes into a lot of the grief as well like for me anyway because before when my grandma passed i never knew my granddad because he passed when my mum was like Mm -hmm. young um on my mum's side of the family so when she passed it was really sad but there was a bit more distance between us and there wasn't like there was anyone she was leaving behind Mm. whereas this time when I've lost I mean I I can only speak from um, it's not even been a year yet um but seeing my nan on her own has been so painful for Mm. me because they've been together since they were 14 or something Mm. and they've been married for what 60 70 years Mm. it it's been horrible to see her like pottering around the house yeah. a bit slower than usual you can tell her like morale like they used to like just dance and sing together and she just it's just seeing her in a different state of mind has been quite hard to deal with as well yeah I think that is that is a part of grief dealing with other people's emotions yeah that was something I, I couldn't cope with at all mm-hmm. after my nana passed away I found it so hard to see my granddad on his own see my mum grieving and you know for a long time, me and my granddad just could not talk about her because we both had such strong emotions. It's different yeah. now, three and a half years down the line, yeah. but it, it wasn't always like that. And that's yeah. why grief is such a massive journey. But I don't think it's a journey that ever necessarily ends when it's someone that meant so much to you. Yeah, sometimes I feel like just time is that healer that I feel like that's that phrase that comes in quite a lot of the time but like you said sometimes you just need that period of let's not talk about it like for some people or some people love just talking about it constantly Mm, every second of the day and it just is very dependent on you and how you cope and just making sure whoever you're talking to is also comfortable with you doing that as well and if not there will be someone out there who is comfortable to hear you talk about them yeah um but yeah I think like you said the emotions of all your family also grieving in different ways is a lot and mm. I found it really nice to get back to London for a little bit to escape mm. it which then makes me feel guilty and I feel mm. like this is probably the case for a lot of people out there if you have to draw yourself away from the situation for a little bit don't feel bad about it because no. you also do need to look after yourself too I definitely felt like that uh, I remember five days after my nana passed away I had to so I feel like I should maybe talk about how I found out that she passed away because yeah. it was it was a lot um so basically, she passed away on the 30th of, 30th of April. That was a Tuesday. So she'd had her operation mid-April, and she was obviously in recovery. It's a long recovery, having a colostomy bag. Yeah. Um, so she'd had the operation mid-April. Um, I'd seen her on the Sunday, which I think was like the 28th. And this was the day that she was so bright that day. That was the first day we thought, oh my goodness, she's getting better. And they always say, don't they, they have a high before that they go. That's generally the thing. Not for everyone, but for most people, Mm -hmm. they say that they have a really good day. She was talking about uh, my granddad buying a new car. She was talking about, like, getting home. She was talking about how she enjoyed the ice cream. And and we were all thinking, oh, my goodness, this is is amazing. You know, this is the first day in weeks that she seemed so bright, so positive. And so I'd obviously come back from uni at this point and when she'd had the operation and been at home for a few weeks and so after that day my mum was like right I think she's you know she's on the mend I think you need to go back I had exams at the end of first year and so we were like 
I don't know if you want to do them. She's like, but I think you'll be fine to go back. You know, this is going to be a long process. We've got to try and move on. We've got to get on with our lives. So I went back on the Monday. My parents took me back to York. They dropped me off. Anyway, on the Tuesday, I woke up. And normally my mum texts me every morning. She's like, hi, how are you doing? What are you up to today, etc." She didn't do it. And I didn't. I, I noticed it, but didn't think anything of it. I thought, oh, she must be busy. She'll be at the hospital. She'll be doing yeah. that. Went to uni, came back. I was in my room, didn't think anything of it, and then got this knock at the door. And you know, I, I don't know if your uni room was the same. Mine had like a little peepee hole. And I looked through and my, my parents were stood there. Mm-hmm. And I was, I didn't even think. My brain was like, what have they doing? They've come to visit. Why have they come to visit? Opened the door. And I was like, what are you doing here? They didn't even say anything. Oh, God, it's giving me, me And I just, all I remember was this horrific scream came at me. And I'm... Like, I'm a cry person, but I'm not a screamer, yeah. I'm not a shouter, like, it's not me. And, oh my God, it was, it, I can't I can't remember anything between that and getting home, back to my home where I'm from. Um, I can't remember anything from that. It was just horrific. All I remember is, both mum and dad, the last thing was just the moving forward to, like, give me a hug and hold me. And yeah. it was just the most horrendous feeling of shock because no one ever said in the entire process she's going to die we were told there's a four percent chance she'll die and they were like but you know that's 96 percent chance she'll survive she'll be fine and we were told if she doesn't have it she definitely is going to die so then we were kind of dealing with the fact that oh my goodness she's she's gone we we never and bear in mind two days before i'd I'd seen her and she'd been talking about buying a new car she was it was almost like she was back to feeling a bit more like herself. She was a very upbeat, very kind, loving person, loved to talk. And to that, to suddenly, oh my goodness, she's gone, was... Yeah, so tricky to deal that with. That was a lot. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, how how were those days then coping? I know you said you can't remember that day specifically, or even maybe a few days after, but how... Do you remember, like, some of your thought process or, like, the feelings that you felt? Like, was there any anger or was it sadness or... Just shock. Just shock. I think that was the thing. And also the fact that I just hated the quietness of being at home. Everyone was sort of, like, going about their business. Like, just sort of, we were watching TV. Obviously, we were all at home together. Mm -hmm. But we were just like... It's like, what do you do in that gap between them dying and having the funeral? Everybody's sort of like... What, what do you do it's it's very weird period of time because everybody thinks you're just sat there crying all day yeah. every day and for some people they are for some people they're not yeah so i remember a week after i said to my friend i said i really need to get out the house i really yeah. need to just do something feel and something other than this sadness and so we just we just went into sheffield and had some drinks and had a chat and then I felt horrifically guilty mm-hmm. that I was doing this normal thing, but I was thinking to myself as well, this is the first time I've actually felt more... It's, it, all I can describe it as is it's just stuffy in your head when someone dies, that grief yeah. is stuffiness, you can't think straight. And then that was the first time I think I felt that sort of release from that a little bit. And then I felt immense guilt. Yeah. I was like, oh my goodness, she's died and I'm here with my friend you know doing something I enjoy and she's not here yeah it's I I I, you just I feel like you have to do that at some point though Mm. and it's like whenever you do make that first move Mm. to do something normal or what you would usually do in your week you're gonna feel guilty at some point you'll be like why am I doing this when 
everyone else is feeling sad or they're doing this but you can't just sit forever mm. in in your house like crying and being upset and even if that's something that works for you I think there has to be a point yeah. where you have to say life does have to continue and that's what's hard that was another thing I don't know if you experienced this this feeling of being outside and looking at everyone and thinking why are you all going about your business my yeah. world has just felt like the, somebody sucked the bottom out of it and I'm, everything's just free falling yeah and you're all just getting on a bus yeah. or having your dinner or yeah and I mine was the worst I had to turn my phone off after a while because I think Christmas was like horrific mm. at, at points um, because it would just be like, oh, like everyone laughing and stuff. I'm like, where the fuck are you laughing? Yeah. <laughs> and no. I'm like, I can finally see why trolls like comment horrible shit on people's things because yeah. I sort of felt them emotions. Like, I would never obviously message someone any yeah. sort of hate in any form, but I can see why people project that onto others on the internet. If they're going through a difficult time, this is when I felt that way too because mm. I was like, oh, I'm literally in hell like I've just watched my granddad die on boxing day like all my family are in turmoil mm-hmm. like we're all so upset and you're posting your fucking Christmas presents on your story yeah you piece of shit it's my thoughts but it's like-, like the most extreme form it's like we go on social media and we think why are you in Barbados and I'm not why are you on holiday yeah. doing this that and the other but then it's the most extreme form of that because you're thinking oh my gosh you're having the time of your life this is the worst time of my life. Yeah. And it really was like, it, it, oh, I literally have to just describe it as someone cutting a circle at the bottom and everything just being like it free fell Yeah, into that. Because I, I think I intermittently cried for a few weeks and then I was like, right, okay, got to get on with it. You know, went back to work over the summer and just, you know, tried to plow on through those feelings. And I think for a while, like it was a distraction. Yeah. But then it did eventually, I think, when I went back to uni and was away for that environment, that's when it hit me like a ton of bricks. Mm. And I think I was crying in a bus stop one night at like midnight. My friend was like, are you okay? And I was like, no. (laughs) That was me, I think, realizing she's really gone, being out of the environment where Mm. other people are grieving and suddenly being in an environment where nobody else is grieving. I'm still feeling these bottled up emotions. And so it erupted in an epic way. Yeah. And I, and for some moments, it's good to be distracted by the people mm. that are going about their everyday life because you feel like swept up back into yours in a way. And then there'll be those moments where it just hits you and you think, what the fuck? Like, my head is so clouded by all these emotions and worrying. I was just worrying about my dad, like mm. losing his first parent. Like, mm. just things that probably I didn't need to worry about because it's everyone's dealing with them in their own way but I was just I I was just spiraling I was thinking what's my dad gonna do like there's such a void in his life like he was going and giving helping my granddad with his treatments and injections and stuff every day Mm. like what's he gonna do now like that's such a weird void in his life and not taking care of them and I I don't know I just was going into like crazy mode and worrying about everyone for no reason when I should have just been worrying about getting myself back on track I do think that though for me it was obviously my mum's mum and I was thinking oh my gosh my mum's lost her mum that's like me one day losing her which I can't bear to think about yeah it makes me physically sick (laughs) I pretend it never it's never gonna happen (laughs) I was thinking oh my goodness all and she even now she says to me she's like the one person in the world who was the best sounding board for everything was my nana because she's a mum like she is for me you know when I feel like everything in the world is falling apart I think my mum loves me I've got to tell my (laughs) mum I've got to tell mum she'll sort it she'll help me (laughs) 
Um, and she'll generally just be like, you're just catastrophizing, it's fine. Yeah. <laughs> but I think that's a mum thing, and I think for a lot of people, not for everyone, but their mum is the most prominent figure in their life, literally from day one. In fact, yeah. like before day one, let's yeah. be honest. But And, yeah, I... oh. It gives me shivers to I think know. about. But You're always going to have that connection, aren't you? Like, they literally I just held you in their stomach. Like, uh, we just... We, we can't, can't go there. <laughs> we won't go there. <laughs> anyway, back to it. <laughs> no. So, do you still find yourself, obviously, over time, you've been able to deal with those emotions? And, I mean, you probably speak about her now in good form. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, you bring up yeah. those, like, good memories. And, I mean, obviously, we're talking about the her passing today. But, I mean, most of the time, do you think you talk with your family about those good moments that you've had or... Yeah, we all, we always joke about certain things Good. that she does now, like what she would have done. We always joke about like my granddad always makes a joke when he sees people like men getting away with things that their wives. He was like, "Do you really think your nana would have let me get away with that?" It was like she would have told me. <laughs> we always joke about it. She was Good. very, she was very very loving, but she would tell you if she thought you'd done something wrong. She yeah. would tell you. And we always joke about that. Um, but yeah, we talk about her a lot more now. But I think it has taken a while especially so me and my mum I think talked about it quite a lot but for yeah. my mum and my granddad and me and my granddad you know that was another step yeah. because for him this it, that really was for him like my world has halved and even now I think he still feels that big aching void and yeah. he he also like he, there's something he'll do is he'll be like oh I don't want to do that I don't want to do that in terms of I know that your nana would have enjoyed it, so I'm not going to go and enjoy it because I don't want to enjoy it without her because Aww. I live with that incredible guilt. And then we're like, but you're still here, so you yeah. deserve to enjoy that. And that is that is something we're dealing with now, sure. moving into, I think, that post-grief of, okay, now we're living with the fact that she's not coming back. Yeah. What's the new normal sort of situation? Yeah. I feel like that is that always takes a while to sink in. I feel like in that, I mean, for you, it's what three and a half years, mm. and they're still trying to work through that. And I feel like it probably will take that long for my nan as well because mm. they were together for so long. Like yeah. it's such a, it, I can't even imagine the adjustment. Mm. Like it makes it pains me thinking about what she's going through in her head. Like if I'm this upset and distraught mm. about my granddad passing, like. And she's got how many more years of knowing him on top of me? That's what I yeah. was thinking in my head. Like, how is she dealing with this? So, yeah, I think she loves talking about him. Sometimes it, it makes me well up because mm. I just loved seeing them together. But, yeah, she copes, I think, by speaking constantly mm. about him. And I, I, I love that for her, like, that she can have those conversations. But sometimes it makes me go like, oh. <laughs> I know, that's the thing as well. Like, I felt when we were talking about her... The thing with talking about her with people you know is everybody then has their own emotions about it. Yeah. And generally it is a good thing. Like we talk about her quite a lot now and like I know that all of us feel, you know, we like to talk about her. We don't like the thought of not talking about her and her going yeah. forgotten, you know. She's still yeah. a massive part of our lives even though she's not here. Yeah. But I think in those early stages it's about balancing, you know, your emotions and your need to talk about it and then everybody else's emotions and vice versa. Yeah that's what I I think is tricky grief is about managing your grief but then you've also got to think about other people's and yeah. to some extent yeah for sure for sure and you don't want to feel like a burden even though you're not yeah you do sometimes feel like I don't want to constantly offload to one mm. person that like you need to make sure I heard someone actually say the other day that them and their friends 
they put like a key word or something before they voice note each other and it's like only basically like only open this when you feel like you can take it on and I thought I need to start doing that with my friends like you know yeah not that I can't it's it's a tricky one isn't it because you obviously want to be there for them but sometimes if you're going through a difficult time you might need like the day off before responding to like a difficult Mm -hmm. message or someone offloading their current problems onto you and I think that's such a nice idea and respectful of like other people's boundaries is boundaries isn't it that is I think as well I always talk about how I'm an empathetic person not sympathetic so in that I mean that some people can obviously look at a situation and think that's really really sad and genuinely feel sad about it but then be like okay but that's not my life and compartmentalize I can't do that especially for people I care about family and friends I definitely feel like I end up embodying people's emotions Mm -hmm. so I think that's so I think that's really understanding of boundaries and respect for other people because there's there's obviously things going on in everyone's lives and you know we all try and be there for each other Mm -hmm. for certain things but I think, you know, if you've got something going on and then something else happens to your friend, you want to be there, but sometimes I feel like you can't be there in a full capacity. I was also saying to my other friend the other day, I said to her, I said, I mentioned to you before we started recording how when I'd known a friend go through something similar recently, the first thing I'd thought was, um, well, what did I need? What did I need? I'll give that to her. And then I was actually like, hang on but we are completely different Different people. people. What if we want different things? Yeah. And I think one of the best things that you probably can do is just create a safe space and just say, look, I am here no matter what you need. You let me know when you need it and what you need. And then I'll do that. You just let me know and I'll take my lead from you because I think it changes. You know, some days you need to be around people and talk about things. Mm -hmm. Some days I just needed to be with someone and we didn't need to talk. We just needed to just, I needed to feel less alone some days I needed to be completely alone yeah and I think when you can do that that's when you've got people around you that are that understand you and understand respect and boundaries at the same time yeah I feel like that works well for other things in life Mm. as well as grief like just saying I'm here for you yeah do you want to talk about it mm. or would you rather me use me as a distraction for today? Do you yeah. know what I mean? Would you rather just Absolutely. go about how we usually would, like joking about stuff, not touching on work, work life, mm-hmm. relationship life, like those other things aside from grief, you can actually implement that into your lifestyle in general and when talking to other people to respect their boundaries and also give them what they need during a difficult time and being a good friend or... I know because some people feel suffocated by that, you know, are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Are you okay? Whereas some people then will not ask about it. And I really struggled with people who just didn't want to be there. I wasn't expecting you to, you know, be there 24 seven, but then I would have expected you to at least be like, are you okay? You know, every few days, I I didn't need you asking, are you okay? Every half an hour sort of thing. But some people I think don't know how to handle grief. Mm -hmm. But then on the flip side of that, I can sort of understand why they don't understand grief because we're all so scared of upsetting, you know, overstepping the mark, overstepping the boundary. And that's why I think grief is just so difficult because firstly, everyone needs completely different things. Mm -hmm. Secondly, everybody's grief timeline is is just completely different. Yeah. You know, and isn't there something like seven steps or something of grief? Yeah. But the thing is, people don't realise you can bounce between like step one, step four, step yeah. two, go back to step four, go back to step four, go back to step one. And then 
I just think it's not linear and that's mm-hmm. it's, it's just such a big topic you can't even scratch the surface I even think as well some days I want people to ask me loads mm. and then other days I'll be like no I need a distraction so it's yeah. not even like there's one type that just suits you every day it yeah. could literally be oh I really want some attention and compassion and talk mm. to talk about this right now yeah. and then two hours later I'll be like right I don't want to think about it talk about it I want to do something else so I think it's just yeah reaching out that arm and being like what do you need today yeah right or right now what do you need right now from me I will Mm -hmm. help you get through it or won't help you get through it we'll do something else (laughs) do you know what I mean (laughs) exactly I just think that grief is such a it's such a big subject and it's so different for everyone it literally is one of those things where every single person's grief story and experience is completely different all you can do I suppose is just it comes back to the same sentiment doesn't it just be supportive just say look I'm here if you need me if you don't need me I'm just I'm here and you let me know in what capacity you need me yeah and there I am and that and that, that I think is all you can do because I think if it gets to the point where you're you know you're suffocating people that can backfire even if it comes with good intentions but then if you're not there enough it's yeah it's just tricky I think as well from not having the people who I thought would be there mm. um that c- could be actually an element of why I actually started this series on the podcast to be mm. honest because I felt like I wanted someone to listen to my story because I felt like no one was going through what I was going through and yeah. no one wanted to listen even though that was just me sort of again spiraling spiraling and catastrophizing everything I think yeah having this space where I could talk to people about their experiences and I felt like I could relate to parts of it and I don't know just create sort of like a safe space and a community where people can come on and talk about their stories and make them feel heard in moments where they didn't feel like anyone cared yeah I definitely I think the first time I actually messaged you was a story you put on about feeling like you needed routine and you needed distraction Mm -hmm. and I just was like oh my goodness you know not just gonna message someone I don't know most of the time but I was like that really resonated with me yeah and I remember other people maybe not necessarily understanding it and I was like just so you know been there done that got the t-shirt completely understand it it does happen and if you speak to everyone everybody has had that point but people just don't talk Mm -hmm. about those things because they're scared of being judged for it because that is another thing there is such a big element of judgment in grief yeah I didn't personally feel judged as such but I definitely knew that everyone has an opinion Mm -hmm. and even if they're not expressing it it's going to be there Mm -hmm. and like you touched on saying oh people that I thought would be there weren't that was definitely a big indicator for me. They definitely judged, I think, the volume of emotions I felt at first. And, you know, probably felt a bit like, whoa, this is a lot. I don't really know how to deal with it. Yeah. So they, instead of just being like, are you okay? You know, just, you can you can be as close or as far away from it as you want. Just generally a message mm-hmm. is all it takes, I think, sometimes to make people feel, you know, every few days, just to make people feel, you know, I am thinking of you, but you know I also kind of don't want to overstep the mat and I don't understand your grief you know it's a lot I think that's it's hard to articulate what I'm trying to say no no, I I fully understand what you're saying and I think when you're going through those intense emotions you expect everyone to be I don't know for me I was like why isn't everyone calling me and asking me how I am like every second not calling me maybe messaging me Mm. and asking me how I am but I think it's as well finding that like that my friends couldn't always be thinking of me because they also have their own lives and it was hard thinking of that or even 
acknowledging that and rationalizing that at the moment because I just thought everything was about me because my world's crumbling and no one else's is so it's also yeah having respect for both sides of the story in that way because I like to yeah I feel like everyone likes to victimize themselves (laughs) and be like oh like no one was there for me but I actually do think that there were points where I would was expecting a message and I never Mm. received that yeah so yeah and then there was random people who are messaging me Set, like saying I'm here for you who I haven't spoken to for years and I'm thinking how are they there for me and the people that I've got currently in my life are not messaging me that yeah so yeah it's, it's difficult that is that is true definitely there was there wasn't many people but there was a couple of people yeah. I was yeah. surprised by but I suppose when you're in your state of like crisis you know you're going through it and I definitely have this big like ball of emotions at first and then I, I would fluctuate between I don't want to talk about it I need to be distracted and then crying my eyes out but they're you're in this state of panic but they're just in the sort of normal state if you think about it so to them this feels extreme because they're not experiencing those emotions personally but then on the flip side of it it's just a bit like I think if you if you're scared off by that then it doesn't take much just to show a little bit of support because I think that is all it takes you know somebody doesn't even have to do something all you have to do is just say I am here for you and it's almost that little bit of reassurance that okay I'm not on my own mm-hmm. and I'm not going through this on my own but like I say not everybody reacts the same and yeah. I do try and understand both sides having been on both sides yeah. now but it, like I say I just think it's such a difficult topic yeah, it's a bit I don't subjective. think you can ever like get the right balance I just yeah. don't know if it's physically yeah, possible yeah no it's hard to sort of pinpoint the exact sort of structure of how to cope with cope yourself or give advice to someone else yeah definitely. with this situation so hopefully having these open conversations will make mm. just people just go with the flow of their emotions and hope for the best in yeah. a way <laughs> although saying that like is there anything that you would personally advise someone who is maybe going through grief for the first time and they're like really overwhelmed with their emotions or not really sure what to do or how they're feeling like is there anything that you would say as words of encouragement or maybe reiterating something that you've already said so two things I think I would go with firstly is grief is not linear Mm -hmm. it doesn't follow for everyone most people I would say you know these steps that they talk about on the internet you might spend weeks crying and then feel you know that you can move on to another step and feel brighter going straight from this like crisis emotional state isn't linear you will fluctuate in and out of feeling certain ways that is valid Mm -hmm. it is fine it is your grief, it is personal, it is you and how you're reacting. Mm-hmm. And then the second thing that I would probably go with is that... I forgot what I was going to say now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, that it's just, it's a personal process, mm-hmm. I would think I would go with, and mm-hmm. that everybody's different. So it's not linear and it's a yeah. very personal process. Yeah. And every feeling that you're feeling is valid. It is okay and... You know, don't feel pressure to move on from that. Just, you'll, your body, I think, naturally will go with it. Oh, I remember what I was going to say. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is so chaotic. But, yeah, the other one would be time is a healer, but we're not talking six months down the line, I'll feel completely fine about everything. Mm-hmm. Time is a healer in the sense that a year down the line, you might not cry every single day. Mm-hmm. And time is healing but it's just taking time to heal. Yeah. Like three and a half years down the line, I still think about her every day and I still feel raw from 
what happened but you know I don't I don't feel the need to cry every day about it I don't feel emotional about it and I, I like I say we now have conversations about mm-hmm. it it's something we've grown to be more comfortable but I'm yeah. three and a half years down the line yeah so just know that time does heal but it's not like we're putting a plaster it's not like over full it on, yeah, patchwork, and it's fine right? yeah, yeah yeah it's it's something that is progressive going, yeah, yeah. and takes time and evolves I yeah. think into different things yeah no I think that's good advice because just time as a healer with no context is mm. a bit like great what does that mean but yeah. having those sort of like examples from your own experience is really helpful like being able to talk about it without always crying or mm. tearing up or feeling like you have to stop the conversation because you're getting too emotional like yeah it's, it's those little moments where you can actually see that time is healing even if it's just small progress going from like i can't think about her at all to a year down the line i can think about her i can think about him suddenly you know i don't cry when i think about him or maybe i do cry but i can think about them it's a long process i think if somebody had said to me at the time time is a healer i'd have said shut up Fuck off. Yeah. what do you know <laughs> what do you know no it is not and but it is true it is bec- and, and it happens without you knowing it happens mm-hmm. i don't think you would have even imagined that you could have a conversation about your granddad passing away and not cry or feel these overwhelming emotions you know two three days after it happened Mm -hmm. but you forget this is raw this has just happened this is like literally cutting your arm and then expecting there to be no bandages or anything that you'd have to you know a scar or anything yeah i think time is a healer but please give context and the fact that it's a healer over a very long period of time yeah in the sense that the progression happens and you don't even know it's happening yeah that was chaotic advice. I love, no, I love the advice. That was good. I <laughs> that feel like you're the best um, But thank you very much for sharing your story and everything. Thank, thank you. you. Yeah, and I will leave resources in the podcast description as well for people who are going through grief and some of the... Yeah, Crohn's and Colitis. Yeah. They are their own organisation. I, I didn't really know they existed at the time, mm-hmm. but they are an organisation and they have a lot of details um, about symptoms, about support, about research into treatments things like that but yeah i think that my my main takeaway from from it is if you think you might have Crohn's and colitis please 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 go get it checked out because there is a lot of treatment out there it just needs to be treated as early as possible i think for the majority Mm -hmm, for sure thank you again thank you Uh, for having me is there anything that you want to shout out or anything uh no not really just yeah Crohn's and colitis check them out if you can donate they do Mm -hmm. um Christmas cards that you can buy. We always buy okay. our Christmas cards now from Crohn's and Colitis. Or you oh, can just donate or buy some raffle tickets. They do a raffle once or twice a year, I think. But okay, yeah, cool. Just, yeah, that's yeah. it. Amazing. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I will see you next week for a brand new episode. Bye.